unique. Um, I didn't know I was going to be up here. I'm sorry I'm in sweats. So those of you, please don't be offended. Uh, I would have dressed the part if I would have known. And so less, first lesson learned for me is not only be ready with the word, but be ready and dress. So <laughs> two new things we learned here today. We're just going to open up to the book of Romans. Um, if you guys don't mind, turn to the book of Romans. And I'm going to call this kind of a doctrinal night. So we're going to go through the main doctrines that are in Romans, um, which is the main doctrine of sin, sanctification, and or justification. Uh, I'm sorry, salvation or, and or sanctification, justification. Uh, then sanctification, and then, of course, sovereignty, which we may, probably won't get to. That's a, a heavier one. But we're just going to go through those doctrines systematically uh, through Scripture as the Lord has given me to what to share. I don't have any notes or anything, but the Holy Spirit is faithful, and I do trust that. Amen? All right, let's go to uh, Romans, please. So it's not going to be a, a verse by verse, precept upon precept. But I know you guys are gracious, and you'll forgive me. You'll forgive me. Amen? <laughs> All right, so a little background on the book of Romans as I recall it. Um, Rome was a place, uh, a very rich, wealthy place. Um, was a place of many, many slaves, about six million slaves there in Rome. They were ruling over uh, Israel and Jerusalem at that time. Apostle Paul at that point had not been there yet, and he was sending a letter to the Christians that were there. So it was almost like uh, you just got born again, you were saved, but you had no Bible. You knew no doctrine, right? And so the apostles Paul's heart always was to get people Jesus, to get people to know how, what they believe so they would know how they should behave. And have you guys have been hearing it? Most of the epistles usually start with what we believe, right? So we can know how we behave. So usually it's a doctrine, and then you have a duty to that doctrine. To whom much is given, much is required. Y'all better wake up in here. Come on now. To whom much is given, much is required. So if you've been given salvation, there's a great expectation uh, not because you need to prove yourself, is because salvation is inside of you. And as Paul would say, therefore each one shall work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And so Paul wrote them this letter so they would know about Jesus, about the doctrine, about the gospel, which is the theme of all of Paul's epistles. It's the theme of everything Jesus spoke of, the kingdom of God. And he wanted us to know about the gospel, all right? What does gospel mean? Who knows? Go, oh, very educated crowd, amen. It means good News, but as everybody knows, there's no good news unless you have bad news to line it up with, all right? And so the first doctrine in Romans is the doctrine of what? Who knows? It's an S word. Sin. First one is sin. We always start with sin. Why? Because those, if you don't know you're sick, you don't go to the doctor, all right? So sin is a terminal illness. And so Paul starts with the doctrine of sin, okay? He says some other stuff too, but the main doctrine in there is sin, Okay? So we're going to read verses, I don't have a watch, I don't have anything, sorry, hold on, I'm going to attempt to put, amen, yeah, that you do, <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> amen. Um, so I'll just start with verse 16, um, where Paul kind of gives his intro, in, introduction to Romans chapter 1, and he basically gives a, uh, the introduction to the gospel, He just talks about how he's grateful for the gospel, and it was declared by holiness, and then he talks about how grateful he is for those believers, how he's heard of their faith and he's heard of their love for Jesus and he's just praising them. And then he kind of culminates it with, for I'm not ashamed, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so he just talks about how it's not a particular work, it's not a particular action, it's not money, it's not how you live, it's not all these other things that bring salvation. It's the actual gospel, that good news that brings salvation. And the whole epistle is really just about how the gospel looks, works, all the above. And he talks about how he's not ashamed of it, and neither should any of us be ashamed of it. And so when we, when we tell people about the good news, there shouldn't be any pressure on us, although some of us may feel, I know I do at times too, may feel that, you know, what if they don't, what if they don't accept it or what if I say it wrong or, you know, what if, what if, how am I going to get them to believe? There's no sweat. And what I mean by that is the power's not in us, right? He says the power's actually in the message of the cross. The Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so he's talking about how it is the power of God unto salvation. And he talks about a lot of other things, but mainly... He talks about how Jews, Gentiles, everybody were all lost without Jesus. 
that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23, that we have no hope outside of Jesus. And in Romans 3, he basically just uses a, a, a multitude of um, Old Testament scriptures concerning Jews and Gentiles, how there's no one righteous. And I know that's not, that's not good news for us, right? I'm not righteous. I'm not good. What are you talking about? I do good deeds every day. I let people in on this freeway, even if they're merging. I, I, I let them match my speed. I do all these things. I pick up trash. I give money to the people at the corner. Right? I do all these things. What do you mean I'm not good? The issue is your standard of good doesn't measure with the standard of Christ. Amen? There's nothing you and I can ever do. I mean, we can, we can come show up every day. We can help all the children we want. We can give all these, do all these pious acts like the Pharisees did. But at the end of the day, it would never, ever measure up to the standard of God's holiness and to the standard of God's righteousness. I don't even have water. My mouth is dry. Um, <laughs> the standard of God's righteousness. No, it's fine. It's fine. I think I'll be okay. Uh, it would never measure up. And so Paul has to hit us with this hard, hard truth because what I love about the law is that realistically, none of us could keep it first and foremost. But secondly, what it does is it backs you up into a corner looking for help. He said, I tried this. I've tried to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I've tried, I've tried to love my neighbor as myself. I've tried to do those. And why I may be successful in, in certain moments, overall I fail because I can't do it perfectly, right? And so what it does is eventually you give up. And you say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't keep it. I've tried my best my whole life. I've tried, and I cannot keep it. And so it has you looking for a way out. Way, Jesus Christ, way, truth, and life. Um, it has you looking for a way out. And so Paul has to drive the point home that, hey, I love you guys. Jesus loves you, but you need Jesus. You are a sinner in need of a savior. If you guys remember, Pastor Dave says it all the time, the word sin, right? It's an archery term, okay? It's, it measured the sin distance on where, how far you were from the bullseye. And so whether you missed it by 100 miles, or some have said uh, 18 inches, the distance between the head and the heart, right? Many people have a head knowledge of Jesus, but don't have a relationship with him and miss heaven by that distance between there. So whether it's the 18 inches or probably more like me, 18,000 miles, um, either way, you're lost, all right? And so Paul drives that home in chapters <clears throat> one through three. He really drives that point home is that uh, there's no one righteous, no, not one, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thank you. Two cups. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, much better. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So, so he, uh, Romans 3.23, and hopefully we have that memorized. I'll read it after he talks about how there's no one righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, there's no one who seeks after God. He talks about how our lips, are, our throats are an open tomb with tongues they have practiced deceit. And it's verse 13, so I'm kind of just scanning through it because it is a lot. Um, and then he just, just goes and just says there's no fear of God before their eyes and just really gives us uh, an aerial view of the world. Is that everywhere we go, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, we, we come into a people and we see this truth everywhere. Is that we've all fallen short. Is we have a defect. And that's because of sin. We've missed that, that, uh, the sin distance. And, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so um, he ends with Romans 3.23. He says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's kind of the summary of the doctrine of sin. Is that we've all fallen short. And, and guess what? If you tell someone about the gospel and you don't tell them that they've fallen short, it's an incomplete gospel. All right? It's incomplete. It's, it's like telling someone, hey, it's okay, man. You're not, you're not going to die. You're not going to die out of cancer. It's okay. Just go get, get that and, and you're, you're okay. You're fine. You can continue living the way you want to live. You know, Jesus says. But if you don't know why you're going to the doctor, you're not going to know what's going to keep you from going back. Okay? If you go there and they just say, hey, here, take this pill. You're good. Well, that's fine. I, I like, that's Okay. But what do I what do I need to what needs to change in my life to where I don't keep going back? I remember uh, about maybe what year we're in twenty nineteen. So I think twenty sixteen when I kind of when I first started teaching the Bible didn't know what I was doing. Still kind of don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I would stay up really really late studying. And I wouldn't really I wouldn't my eating habits got pretty unorthodox. So I would eat like two bowls of raisin bran crunch, big ones, and that's a very sugary cereal for those who don't know. Um, so my cholesterol went sky high. I gained a lot of weight, weight I shouldn't be carrying at my, at my height. Um, and I did it for like a year and a half, had no idea. And then finally I was like, okay, I need to, I need, I need to go to the doctor. <laughs> like I, I, need, I need to see where I'm at. This is not good stuff here, all right? <clears throat> so I went and they said, look, like, you're, 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 out, you're overweight, you're, you're obese pretty much for your height. Um, even though I didn't look it, but I, I knew what it was. And so, but he gave me a detailed description 
on what I need to do so I don't have to come see him again like that. Detailed description. Now, if you would have just went in there and said, hey, you know what? Uh, it looks like you're a little overweight, but I think you're, I think you're okay. I would have continued eating the two bowls of Raisin Bran Crunch, which is not healthy, by the way, especially at 3 in the morning. Um, <laughs> I would have continued doing that, and it would have been all bad. I probably wouldn't be standing here for you three years of that. I probably wouldn't be standing here right now. But the point, the point of the matter is, is that before we tell someone the good news, they need to understand why they need it. They need to understand what makes it so good. Why do I need a Savior? And so we must start with the truthful doctrine. It's not a pleasant doctrine. It's not something that people want to hear, but it is a truthful doctrine that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the doctrine of sin, we're going to review it, the doctrine of sin is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's the bad news, okay? That's the bad news. Moving forward, a few verses later, we now will transition into the doctrine of justification, a.k.a. salvation, all right? That's the good one. That's, that's the best one there. That is the best one. So I'm sick. I'm terminally ill. Now what? What do I do now? Okay, you got me. You got me, Jesus. I'm sick. I'm ill. What do I do? So Paul drives it home um, in Romans 3.28, and I'll just read it. It says here, um, oh, my Bible, there you go. He says, therefore, we conclude. I'll, I'll just pause right there. So when he says, therefore, we conclude, that means in light of what I've just said in chapters 1 through 3, everything, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, there's no one righteous on earth that can make themselves right. He says, we conclude, after all of those things, he says, we conclude that we conclude that, the, that a man or woman, both, okay, is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Oh, this is paramount. This is paramount. Here's why. When you really look at it, we have, maybe if I'm wrong, somebody can fact check me. There's got to be at least five, 6,000 different religions in some, in some sort. Because I know Christianity has 100, 200 different sects of Christianity. I know uh, Islam, Mormonism, they have 100 different sects of their religion or whatnot, some way, shape, or form, right? So we have all these different derivatives of religion and, and, and how people are really trying to answer this question right here is how can someone be right with God? So here's why this is paramount. When you line them all up, all of them, I don't care which one it is. When you line them all up, there's essentially only two religions, okay? Biblical Christianity is right here, okay? All the others are spread all across over here but in one category. And the category is a, faith, a combination, some way, shape, or form, of faith and works. Some way, shape, or form. Faith and works. Is Jesus good but, right? That's why you got to be careful about the Jesus and doctrines, Okay? Jesus is good, but you must do A, B, and C. Jesus is good, but you don't have to do anything and just fly high and live and do backflips, okay? There's all these different derivatives of what it is, but to summarize them all, no matter how you cut it, slice it, and dice it, when you look at them, when you study them, which, I mean, I don't know why you would, but some people do, um, we look at them, essentially, you have Jesus and, and then Jesus, period, okay? We're on the Jesus, period. And that's why Paul had to say, we conclude that you are justified. And the word justify, it's a legal term. Some of you guys have heard this before. For, your, for those who haven't, it bears repeating. It's a legal term, and it means get the picture of a judge sitting behind, you know, with his javelin and his nice big chair, nice big round desk. And he has his javelin, and he puts a sentence down, and he declares you innocent. He says you are declared righteous, okay? And that means in a court, that means the jury has heard it, they're in, they've seen it, and you have now declared righteous in the sight of God. Right? Does that make sense? Well, then why do I still sin? Good question. Because you still live in unredeemed flesh. But it's all about how you look in the judge's eyes. Right? Eventually, one day, you will be sinless when you get new bodies. Right? I can't wait for that day. Um, amen? <laughs> and we should be longing for that. And so guess what? When you have declared Christ as Lord, you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Bible says you are right then and there. You're justified. Meaning the javelin has come down. You're declared innocent from all of your sin, past, present, and future. And that is such a glorious truth, such a glorious truth that we can all rejoice at that by simple, simple faith in Christ, all right? Faith bears repeating as well. Remember what faith is, okay? Hebrews 1 says that the substance of things hold for the evidence of things not, not seen, but, but essentially faith is just simply trusting in someone or something for a purpose, 
For example, all of you have exercised faith by sitting in the chairs. Okay? Now, if you ask, well, 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 duh, that's what chairs are made for. Correct. I agree with that. But not every chair holds people. Okay? Uh, we ate dinner. Doug may not like this, but it is what it is. We, <laughs> we ate lunch on Sunday, and uh, we went to a restaurant, sat in a chair. Doug's chair didn't hold up too well. <laughs> and I love the brother. I think he was doing a little too much wiggling, but the chair didn't hold up too well, and it broke, and he, and he almost fell off the chair. Okay? But he exercised faith in that chair to hold him, and it didn't hold him too well. All right. Now, why? I don't know. You got to talk to him about that. But he didn't hold up too well. And, but he exercised the trust in the chair to hold him like we all exercise faith in the chair to hold us. So with Jesus, we're having faith in him to save us, okay, that he's the only remedy, that he's the only answer, that he's the only way. And one of my favorite ones, that he's the door, right? He's the entrance for us to get into heaven, for us to get to God. And he actually says in John 10, in fact, if you come any other way, like through Buddha or like through Joseph Smith or like through uh, Charles Taze Russell. Those are all acclaimed ways. He says, you're a thief and a robber. He says, you're a criminal. If you try to come any other way, it's a criminal act. If you try to come any other way. And so when we say we place our faith in Jesus, we're literally putting our lives, our eternity in balance through Jesus. Is that we say, Lord, I trust that by me trusting in you and your Holy Spirit coming and living inside of me, there isn't anything else I need to do to be right with Jesus, okay? So that's just some simple definitions of faith and trust and belief. Those are simple definitions. Because I think we throw those words around a lot without, you know, thinking about, you know, what does that truly mean? Like, how can a, a five or six-year-old understand that? I got to explain that to my kids, you know, at six and seven. I got to explain the simple definition, just simple faith in Christ. And so I say that because all the other religions use the same words. Oh, no, we have faith too. We have faith. Yeah. Some of their faith looks like bowing at a temple and just and, and sometimes even scarring themselves and, and hurting themselves and doing things like that. To them, that's faith. To other people, faith is, is just doing whatever you want. You know, to other people, faith is doing a thousand, a million works a day, knocking on doors. I know some of you guys have those visits, right? Amen? <laughs> we get them all the time. Some people's faith is sitting in a chair in front of a restaurant with a, with a booth hanging up with books, and they don't even talk to you when you walk by. Some of them, some of them that's faith to them. But the thing is that Jesus said there's only one way, right? And I know that that's a hard pill to, to swallow a lot. Who are you, you, you arrogant Christians? Who are you guys to tell us? You're, how do you know your way is right? How do you know? Which well, is because Jesus said so. And I'm okay with that, amen? <laughs> I'm okay. He said some other things. They all came true, and it was all real because Jesus said so. And so like I've said before, you know what? Uh, I like to tell people, you know, Christians, a lot of people, they point at us, and they, you guys are arrogant. You guys think you have this, and and we shouldn't be arrogant, and I know we all struggle with pride, or maybe I only struggle with pride here, but um, we shouldn't be arrogant, but we should be confident, and there is a difference, right? Arrogance is an over-exaggerated view. It's, it's unrealistic. It's irrational because pride makes you irrational, but confidence is just something that you know, something that you know that you know with full assurance, and there isn't any doubt with that, and so faith in Jesus comes with that confidence. We should have boldness, and we should have confidence because we know Jesus, at the end of the day, all right? So Paul says, you're, we're justified. Remember, think of this as a judge. I think it's John 5, where Jesus says, guess what? That all should honor the Son, all should honor the Father as they honor the Son. And he committed all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus is the one who's going to judge, right? So you're either in Christ or out of Christ, but Jesus is the judge. He's judging. And he puts the javelin down and says, you're declared righteous apart from any works of law, any works of merit, anything from there, all right? Just want to make that clear. Okay, I know we, we all, for, we want to do stuff, okay? We like doing things, amen? I was able to ask him to just do something so I could just stand before God and say, hey, look what I did, right? During the scripture, hey, Lord, Lord, what did they tell you? They're talking about stuff they did, right? Hey, didn't I uh, cast out demons, knocked on some doors, fed some homeless people, right? Gave, gave a little bit more time that one month. Remember that one month that I gave out of the year, that one month, right? We all want to do stuff. But I just want to let you guys know. If you want to do that, that's fine, but just check your heart, right? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you're saved or because you're trying to earn merit with the Lord? Well, the Bible would say you do it because you're saved, not to be more saved. And by the way, you can't be more saved than you are now, all right? There's not like a merit of salvation, like step one of salvation, where you work, you do it. There's no steps. It's you're, you're born again, and then as you grow, you look more and more like Christ, which is the next doctrine of sanctification. So he says, man is justified by faith apart 
from deeds of the law. Um, and then he just goes into talking about, uh, or is he God of the Jews only? Is he only, uh, not only the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. And he kind of goes on how God is the God of the universe, right? That he's the savior of all who call upon him. Um, okay. So then, um, those are two doctrines. Okay. Very, very important doctrines. Doctrine of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, doctrine of salvation and or justification. Uh, a term how some people memorize it, you guys have heard it, uh, just as if I've never sinned, because you're, you're righteous in God's sight. Um, I think it's like Psalm 103, and I, somebody could fact check, I'm probably wrong, but, or 130, one of them, it says, but as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin and our transgression from us, right? So he's completely removed it. It's gone. In God's sight, you're, you're completely perfect and blameless. In his sight. Um, other people may not see that yet, and that's okay. Um, but in his sight, we're pure, we're, we're perfect, and we're blameless in his sight for salvation, okay, and justification. So now, um, one important point still on salvation is that Paul, which I love, he gives two uh, examples of, of patriarchs in the Old Testament, namely Abraham and David, okay? The Jews always want to bring up Abraham all the time. Abraham, see, we don't need Jesus. Abraham, see, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Abraham Moses, we don't, we don't need that. If you guys read the Gospels, you see it over and over and over. Uh, what do you got? We're Abraham seed. We're good. And they have this kind of entitlement because of their heritage or where, or where they came from. Um, they, they use that as their kind of like what they would step on for salvation, their merit. Okay? But if, just before we say, remember, we're justified by faith of Christ apart from any works of law. And so what I love here is that another point we need to see is that just because you're in a Christian family, doesn't mean you're automatically saved. You get that? And I know you guys have heard it before, but it bears repeating. Um, just because you're born under a particular heritage or your family went to church or your brother or your grandma or who, whoever, it doesn't matter. I know you guys have heard the term God has no grandchildren, right? John 1.12 says that to those who receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe on his name. And so it is an individual thing. You can't you can't grandfather on my back. Those were all of us. I can't grandfather on yours. I can't hop in on, on the salvation plan. The salvation plan is individual. God cares for every single soul. He died for the world. But it takes each individual to call upon him. All right? So I can't jump on, on a merit of, of my great-grandfather who went to church and he did all these, you know, he was saved. We can't, we can't grandfather after that. And I love how Paul makes this very, very clear. And he actually uses their, their great-great-grandfather, Abraham. Right? How was Abraham saved? How did, how did that come apart? By simple faith. And so here's what he says. And usually when I explain the doctrine of justification, I use Romans 3.23, and I love using Romans 4.5. And so first he talks about the contrast between what does the scripture say? Is it by works or is it by just simple belief? Right? And I know you guys have heard this before, but I'm telling you carefully. I deal with a lot of religious, religious folk or claim to be religious, and they always, always add the works part. Oh, sorry. My wife's phone. She brought on vibrate. <laughs> hey, I learned from Adam. I'm not an Adam anymore. Amen. <laughs> um, and so, he, so uh, we'll start at uh, 3, verse 3 in Romans 4. You guys there? We're still there? Yeah. Amen. All right, all right, all right. Hold on. Hold on. I got a little dry bones. Pray the Lord, a little dry bones. <laughs> Amen. So, so 4.3 says, for what does the scripture say? That's a great start too, by the way. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then verse 4, I love this. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. So you can't have grace and works. Choose one. If it's grace, it's not works. If it's works, it's not grace. And so this is a huge point in the, in the, the religious community is the Roman Catholic Church I used to be, I'm not even going to say that. Look, it's wrong, period. <laughs> it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's built on idolatry, and it's built on works. It's built on doing this and bowing down and raising up and bowing down and praying to dead saints and then praying to Mary and doing all these other things, and it's just not biblical at all. In fact, it's burdensome. It's extremely burdensome. And so Paul was saying, guess what? If that's what it is, you're going to get a paycheck, okay? And unfortunately, it's going to be eternal damnation. That's going to be the paycheck. Because all those things, guess what? It is an insult to God. It is an insult. How dare you worship what I created in place of me? 
That's what we do when we add works to the cross. How dare you replace me? Remember the, uh, in Exodus, and this is one thing I was always like amazed at. Literally, you just came out of Egypt. Literally. You got into the wilderness. Moses went up there for 40 days. You couldn't wait 40 days. 40 days, what happened? And Aaron, throwing him. Anyway, um, so Aaron, it was really quick. They already, if, if you guys remember, and hopefully I remember it, right? They're like, hey, uh, Aaron, yo, make us a God uh, that we can worship and say that's the God that brought us out of Egypt. That quick. They wanted to take creation, what God made, replace it, and say it's God. And he's the creator, and that's the creation. And that's what Romans 1 talked about. They're going to worship the creation rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. That's what it said. And so we have a notion, and our human defect is to take what we cannot see and make creation and pretend it's the creator and then worship it. And it's the biggest mistake we can ever make. It's folly because we want to see what we worship. We can't just trust God and say, okay, Lord, I didn't, I didn't actually see your hand come down in Egypt. I didn't see it come down and move the Red Sea, but we walked through it. Think about that. Didn't actually see the hand, but I, I, there, there wasn't no water, and I walked through it, right? And I saw Pharaoh's whole army. I, I saw all that, right? You didn't see the hand then. When, the, when that manna came down, you didn't see the hand delivered to you, did you, right? But you ate the manna. The Israelites ate the manna. When it came down to Moses going up, in, up into their mediator, going up into speak with God, they, they wanted to make a golden calf. And then they worshiped it, and they claimed it was in the image of God and the creator, and falling. And then, and then Moses, his, his time had to be cut short. He had to be sent back down. But it was an example of you guys saw all the mighty works of God. And we do the same thing. We see all the mighty works of God, and then we then take what God created and replace him with that. It's one of the biggest falls we can ever do. Biggest falls we can ever do. But yeah, so that's what, um, in Rome, and they had a lot of idols there too. And so I love how Paul just says, you know what? Now unto him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt you owe. You're in debt. And then verse 5, but to him who does not work. I'll say that again. To him who does, him, him or, or she or her, you know, whatever. I don't proper grammar. Uh, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You see that? The trust is just simply exchanged. Here believes, I, I think it's the, word, the Greek word pasteo, which simply means to commit, to trust. Just like, and it's translated to faith, the same thing. It's to simply trust. Remember? But for a purpose. I'm not just trusting God to meet my needs, but I'm actually trusting him to save. I'm not trusting him to sit in a chair, but I'm trusting him to save. And so it's a bigger commitment, right? G Jesus said, hey, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It is a commitment. You commit your life to the Lord. When you surrender and say, yes, Lord, you don't turn around and say, uh, no, Lord, right? But we actually commit our lives to the Lord. And so I love how he says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies ungodly, his faith is accounted in him as righteousness. And that righteousness is the righteousness of God, of Jesus, the perfect obedience of our Savior, perfect when the Jesus was baptized, you know, what did God say about Jesus? Who remembers? You got to read it There we go. This is my son and whom I am well pleased. And when he died on the cross, I think it was Isaiah 53, it said it pleased God to crush him. He received him as a sweet-smelling aroma. He was the perfect sacrifice that would satisfy all the sins of the world. And everyone who believes on him. From, now think about that. From Adam until all the end of the world, that's how righteous Jesus was. It's almost like it was an overpayment. And that's why I think Paul was able to say where sin abound, grace abound that much more. Amen? It didn't matter. He was so, so righteous beyond what we can ever believe. And we, don't, we won't know until we get to heaven. But beyond what we can ever believe. And that's why the blood of Jesus covers all sin. All sin. Everything. But he was so, so righteous. And you and I, I think Paul was saying in Philippians 3, he says, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus, that's what I'm covered with. That's why I'm able to enter into the presence of God now, because I have Jesus' righteousness. And therefore, it said that you take off the old one, old person, you put on the new garment, which is Christ. And the Bible says, therefore, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We're putting on the righteous garments of Jesus. 
And so we look at the first example of Abraham believed God. And real quick, if I, if I remember it correctly, um, it was like Genesis, either Genesis 12 or Genesis 15, one of, somewhere around that. Somebody could fact check me online or something. Um, so when he made the covenant with him, Abraham, with God, when they did, they would cut a covenant and then they would, they would cut animals up in half and they would have both parties. If it was, if it was a unilateral covenant or a bilateral covenant, two people were involved. Um, the two people would both be responsible for walking through the cut animals. It was almost in a line like this. And you have the cut animals, one half of their bodies on that side, pretty bloody scene. Uh, another half of the bloody animals on that side. And each person who was responsible for the covenant, keeping the covenant, would walk through as to say, if I break this covenant, I'm going to end up like those animals. Okay? And so when, when God made that covenant with Abraham, he made those promises to Abraham about in your seed, all nations will be blessed. He made that covenant to Abraham. Uh, Abraham never walked through. Who remembers what Abraham was doing? He was KO'd, all right? Night-night, okay? Talk about uh, sleeping faith, okay? <laughs> he was knocked out. God had supernaturally put him to sleep. And guess what? God barbecued those animals. And so Old Testament, how do we know that God accepted a sacrifice? Who knows? is that that fire came down, right? That fire came down and consumed the offering. That's how we knew. And so when Abraham woke up, the offering was already, uh, the, the, the offering's already consumed. God walked through it, meaning who's responsible for the covenant? God, not Abraham, all right? And it's the same thing with salvation, is to the one who does not work, but literally, I like to say, rest on the promises of God, per se. Literally rest on the promises of God, they have his perfect righteousness by placing trust in him. And I love that picture so much because if anyone wants to point to how, you know, patriotic and how righteous Abraham was, and he was by faith, of course, you got to point to what he did in the promise of God. And he literally was resting on the promise that God will do it. In fact, we go a little bit further. When it was time to show his, sanctif his sanctification, when he offered Isaac on the altar, that wasn't who, uh, if anyone remembers, I think it was about 30 years, and Mark or check me if I'm wrong, it was about 30 years after, he off, after that covenant was made, that Isaac was. Before he, when he was justified, he said he believed God and was accounting him as righteous. I believe it was 30 years later that he actually offered Isaac on the altar. All right? And I believe Hebrews tells us that Abraham went up there knowing that either God was going to deliver Isaac from the dead or that he wasn't going to have to kill him, whatever the case may be, because he remembered the promise that in your seed, who's the seed? Isaac, well, eventually Jesus, but to see at that point, was, that was a blood on Isaac. He knew that God made a promise that in this seed, Isaac, that all nations were going to be blessed. And so if you're telling me I'm going to have to go kill my son, you're going to raise him from the dead or you'll be lying and I know you can't lie. And so this is the type of faith, the simple faith, literally just trusting God's word. God said it, I trust it, I believe it, I act on it. That is the faith that comes from God. Amen. That's the faith that all of us should have. And we're blessed because we have the Bible. Abraham didn't have that. He didn't have it. We have the Bible. So there's no excuse for us not to walk in simple obedience. So I love that example of, oh man, time flies. Amen. I love the example of, of Abraham, example of, of saving faith. All right. Next one he uses is King David. And oh, it's a heavy one. Most people know David in his early life for what? Early life when he's a shepherd boy. Goliath, right? And we, and we love that. Yeah, he slayed Goliath. We love all those things. But when he became a king, he had, a, he had, he had another thing that he's still known for. What is Bathsheba, right? And, and Bathsheba was a progression because David stopped going out to war. I'm chilling. I won all these battles. That's what pride does to you. Push you up. Won all these battles. My, my team, my team is strong. I got the A team. My team is strong. I don't need to go out to war anymore. So he got lazy, and he should have been out to war as a king. Got lazy, started kicking back, and then he's, he should, be, should have been working, but he was at home, and he was able to see some things he shouldn't, shouldn't have seen. Um, he acted on it, and you guys know the story. Uh, you know, he committed adultery. Then to take it a little further, try to cover his sin, he committed more sin. We do that sometimes, too. Not a good idea. Uh, and then, of course, he based, it, all, it all comes because your sin will find you out. and It all comes to fruition. And Adultery and murder, the law said what? Who knows what the law said about it? Levitical law said that for an adulterer and a murderer, what was the punishment? Stoning to death, publicly, for everybody to see it. Talk about your sin all out in the open, right? But that didn't happen to David. 
Is God unrighteous? Is that fair? King David wasn't stoned. In fact, at this point, if I didn't know anything else about God, if I just came and I read that, and I think it's a, a Proverbs 17, it says, he who uh, condemns the just but uh, I think exonerates the wicked is an abomination. And that's what it looks like at this point. Is that, hold on, hold on. Anybody can step up and say, hey, hold on. The law says, and you're all about the law, the law says if anyone commits adultery and if anyone commits murder, they have to be stoned outside the camp in front of everybody. That didn't happen to David, though. If you guys remember, when Nathan the prophet came, he concluded, and what did he say? Who remembers? The words still ring sharp in my ears. He said, you will not die for your sin. Yeah, it's there. It's there. I know. I know. He said, you will not die for your sin. That doesn't mean there wasn't consequences. But he said, you will not die for your sin. I think it's 2 Samuel uh, Samuel 11, maybe. Um, He said, you will not die for your sin. But, it's always a but, because there's consequences. You're not just going, you know. The child, as you guys know, the child died. And then he also said, the sword will not leave your house. And, you know, David had a history of rebellious children and, and even his child trying to kill him and whatnot. Um, but the point was, David had a repented heart. He had faith in the coming Messiah. He's in the hall of faith. He had faith in the coming Messiah. And he was justified by faith as well. He did not die for a sin. And therefore, David can declare in Psalm 32, I believe, um, blessed is a man whose sins are not taken. Well, I don't want to quote it. I want to read it. Hold on. I'm going to go to it because I think it's important. Amen. Oh, actually, I think it's right here. Right here in front of me. Verse 7. It says, just at, I'm sorry, 6 and 7. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness, again, apart from works. And he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. I think it's Psalm 32. Right there. How did, how, wow. This is simple faith in the grace of God. And that is our example. Now, the example is not to follow David, obviously, in his sin. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about how he just had faith in God to cover him, how he was a man of faith, and he was a repentant man of faith. You guys remember the difference between Saul and David? Saul wasn't repentant. David was, right? I love how when God told him about himself in Exodus 34, he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. That's what God says about himself. He's quick to forgive. He wants to forgive. That's our God. That's our Heavenly Father. That is the, that's in whom we place our faith in, a righteous, loving God. But he's also a God of justice, as we saw. And so our examples we see, um, the, the doctrine of justification or salvation is that we're, we're declared righteous apart from any works of God, by faith in Christ, apart from any works of God. And our examples we see here in Romans 4, and it was also used in Galatians, and in James, about faith, is that... Abraham, justified by faith, simply believing. David, justified by faith, simply believing. These are examples in Scripture and all throughout Scripture for our salvation. Right, moving on to the next one. Amen, we're still there? Yes, yes, I know it's it's 8 o'clock on the money. All right, but we're still here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The next one is going to be, and again, there's no, I, there's, I'm just scratching the surface, <laughs> you know. There, there's so much in Romans. It took, I mean, it took like, I think, eight months faster than to preach the whole thing. And so I'm just scratching the surface. But these are important doctrines. Doctrine is important. Very, very important, all right, because what we believe correlates to how we behave. And so doctrine is important. The next doctrine we're going to transition into is the one of sanctification, all right? So justification uh, can be, you know, can be said and some declared however you want to remember it. Um, Christ dying for you, and sanctification will be Christ's work in you or through you, uh, like how you can kind of remember it. And so you're justified by faith in Christ apart from works of law, but as some would say, um, faith alone saves, but a faith that saves is never alone, right? And so faith, which James is talking about in James 2, true saving faith is always accompanied, right, or produces works. What I like to tell people is, look, you got root and fruit. So I tell people, if you bear the root, you bear the fruit. If you don't got the root, you won't bear the fruit. It's that simple, okay? <laughs> and so I make it really, really simple. Is that if a tree is rooted, it bears fruit. If a tree is not rooted and grounded, it does not bear fruit. 
There's no in-between. Well, it kind of bore fruit. Like the, the apple was a little bit half over and a little bit was rotten. No, it either bears fruit or it doesn't. All right? It's that simple. And so if you bear the root, which is faith in Jesus, it's naturally going to produce fruit in you. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, but there'll be something there because it's supernatural when it comes from the Lord. All right? So transition in, we'll go to Romans 6. So I'll, I'll try my best to, like, cover these three aspects of it. Um, and so I, I believe six is kind of dealing with, um, you know, the two uh, L's, liberty and license. Uh, or no, those are kind of the same. License and, and uh, legalism. There you go. And so the first thing we deal with is, okay, well, since grace, uh, the Bible says that we're sin abound, grace abounds that much more. So guess what? I'm just going to keep sinning so grace can abound. Believe it. People think like that. Right? And so I believe here in chapter 6, when Paul talks about sanctification, that's the first aspect that he deals with, is that I'm going to deal with the people who think that they just can outsmart God and just keep sinning so grace can keep abounding. Okay? It's not what Paul meant. Right? What he meant was, no matter how much you sinned the entire time, God's grace is going to outdo your sin. Okay? When you come to God. Right? That's, that's what I believe Paul was saying. Um, so we'll, we'll start with exactly what he says here in verse 1. You guys there? Okay. Sanctification, right? Christ worked through us, becoming more like Jesus. And that's our walk all the way till we get to heaven, okay? That is a process. So don't get discouraged. Like, oh, I keep, yeah, you're fighting. If you're in the fight, it's a good thing. If you're not fighting anymore, it's a bad thing, all right? Okay, verse one, he says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Good question. But the answer is no, certainly not. I love this. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so if you guys remember, so Paul talks about uh, baptism as participating in death, burial, and resurrection. And so while baptism does not save you, but say people get baptized, uh, does not save you, but it is like your wedding ceremony, right? You get married, you don't want to get married all private. Well, some people have, so no, no offense if you did. But mainly, generally, we want people to know we're married, if you're married, right? You don't hide it. You don't, you know, you typically wear a ring. You typically send out invitations. You typically tell people about it. If you don't have a ring on, better put it on. Uh, <laughs> you typically tell people about it, right? It's something that you want to celebrate. It's not anything that you want to keep to yourself. And so baptism, that's why we make a public declaration, right, that we are married to Jesus, but it's participating in the death, burial, and resurrection. And so the Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, we died with him, Okay? We were buried with him, okay? And that when he rose, we rose with him, but we rose new creations, amen? And so what, it's, so what it means is that old life you once lived, the old person you once were, that person's dead in the grave, all right? That's the imagery we're seeing there. And how is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of every believer, and it starts to conform and change your ways of thinking, your heart, your passions, your affections, you cannot remain the same if you've died uh, to Christ and now are living in him. You just can't. Okay, now some people believe you can. I don't believe the Bible teaches that anywhere, right? Could be wrong, but I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see it. I, 2 Corinthians 5 says, hey, old things have passed away. And they may not happen right away. That's why this is a process. But something changes. And as those things change, it starts to show in your life. And if you've been serving the Lord a long time and your neighbors don't know you're saved and people you go around don't know you're saved, you've got to do a gut check, right? Paul says examine yourselves, right? See if you're in the faith, examine yourselves. So the baptism, so Paul says, so we actually died with Christ. Um, and, and he says it here in verse, I want to say uh, four. Oh, no, actually the rest of three. He says, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Sanctification 101 here, okay? So if you got born again yesterday and you were at the bar, okay? Today, don't be in the bar, all right? <laughs> you, you may got saved in the bar, but don't go back to the bar, okay? It's not good for you newness of life, all right? So things are changing. They're no longer the same. And, and, and even though, and you know, a lot of us, let's just be real, a lot of us, we got born again and we still kind of went back into kind of doing the same things. Because remember, as a, if you look at it from, from perspective of a little child, a baby, a baby, that's why the term is used babes in Christ, or, you know, they're young in Christ, 
a baby has to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to learn language, how to do all these things. And so we too as Christians, when we first get born again, we have to learn how to start growing into this new body that we have. You know, the baby you're in the womb, things are free, you get fed, all the nutrients are there, you, you sleep, you do whatever you want in there, right? But then once you're born, umbilical cord get cut, okay? <laughs> and now you, you got to start like, you got to try to figure this thing out, right? And God gives you parents to help you, clothe you, wash you, feed you, bathe you. And then as you naturally grow, they kind of start to back away because you're starting to do things on your own. You're starting to learn on your own. It's the same thing with us Christians in our walk with the Lord. Um, and I know we can all identify with that. Most of us who have kids or have, have uh, nephews or nieces or grandchildren, whatever you want to call it, we've all seen that process and we all went through that process. And so Paul's saying, guess what? You've died with Christ. You're new in Christ now. You are a baby, a spiritual baby, and now you're going to feed on the sincere milk of the word. And now you're going to feed on when you go to fellowship and you have other believers that are there from all different levels of maturity. That's why the fellowship's important. And then you're going to get fed the word of God by a seasoned teacher. You got a blesser, you have a seasoned teacher. Not me, Pastor Dave and Pastor Mark, those guys. All right, I'm the run of the group, okay? But you guys get taught by seasoned uh, leaders of God, under shepherds. And that's how you grow, by all these uh, elements that God has put in place in the, the assembly of the church. Okay? And so I love Paul says, hey, you were baptized into his death, therefore you were buried with him through baptism, and you should walk in newness of light, not continue in the ways of your old life. Okay? And this is by no means a works-based salvation. Right? It's not, okay, well, I have, I, I, I have to stop. I, I, I have to stop. No, the issue is you can't stop. If you could stop, you wouldn't have needed to be born again, right? We would have just, I tell people like when, uh, usually when I tell people, like, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's only through Jesus. And they're like, no, I, I can. I said, look, if you were able to do it, then why didn't God just wait till you to be born and you die for us? <laughs> right? And they're kind of puzzled, like, huh, I never thought about it like that. But, tr- but truth be told is that God knew <laughs> there wasn't going to be a single soul born on earth that was going to be able to do it. That's why he had to send Jesus from heaven to do it. <laughs> So, so that's why, you know, are you wiser than God at that point? Did you think God should have waited for you to be born? Did God not know, right? And then people kind of start thinking like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, you know. But, you know, we, we all are going to have to grow in our walk, but the old life gets left because it's supernatural, right? It's supernatural. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And, and, and you know, Paul goes into a lot of other things in this, in this area. Um, and then he talks about an element of, of slaves, being slaves. And so... When you're a slave, you, you simply obey your master. It's just that simple. And he talks about how when you were a slave to your sin, you, didn't, you just obeyed. Like, that's what you did. That was your nature. Um, and all of us can relate to that. And he just talks about how, um, we'll go to uh, verse 20. Verse, uh, chapter 6. You guys are there? Verse 20. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, check it, past tense, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? I love that. He talks about, hey, when you were, when you were in, uh, a slave to sin, um, check it out. What fruit did you have then compared to what you have now in the Holy Spirit? He says, in fact, you're ashamed of those things now. So that's another element of your walk. Are you ashamed of your past life? Are you ashamed of those things that you once did and sometimes even now fall to? Does it shame? I know it shames me. Super ashamed. Extremely. I don't want you guys to know. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, shameful. But I got to take that to my prayer closet. You know, hey, Lord, you already know. You know, I've fallen short. Uh, but we can all identify with that. But Paul wants to use this imagery that, hey, you're no longer a slave to sin. And he goes in, and then he goes on and says, verse 22, but now you have, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. And I love that. I had a, um, a guy I, I went to school with, and he was, I mean, he was, he was hardcore, hardcore gangster, I remember, hardcore. I only knew him because I played football with him, um, and I tried my best to stay away from him, just to be, you know, be honest. He was a couple classes ahead of me, and he was hardcore. I even had a twin brother, and they are both hardcore. And I, I saw him, I graduated high school, you know, I, I got born again, and I ran into him at a, at a park. He was having a party. And I was playing at the park, and my, my, one of my daughters, he was playing at the park, one of his kids, and I saw him, I kind of tried to turn away. And I shouldn't have done that. I know I should have been ministering to him. I know, sorry. Um, I tried to try to turn away, because I just didn't want to, you know, 
I want to, I want to tell him about Jesus, but like, you know, what if, you, what if you, he might receive it wrong? You know, if he's still a gangster, that's a problem for me. You know, I don't have to deal with that. So I'm just being transparent. So I tried to avoid him, but he saw me first. He saw me. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's go. Okay. And, you know, and he came, and he was like, hey, hey, man, how you doing? I asked him, I saw him blessed, and he go, he said he was blessed. I'm like, I kind of looked at him, you're blessed? Wait, what's going on? What happened? And it, so it turned out he became born again. He was a new creature in Christ. And one thing he told me that it, it always struck me because he started laboring for the Lord. And he was doing Bible studies at his house, and he was always serving, he and his wife in the church. And he'd always tell me, he said, look, it, when I was in the streets, gangbanging, drug dealing, fighting, doing all those things, I went hard for Satan. I was about it for Satan. How can I, now that I'm in the Lord, not go hard for him? And I was like, amen, bro. <laughs> amen. And so that was an encouragement. And Paul said, look, when you were a slave to sin, you were going hard. You're trying to get better at it. You were practicing it. But now that you've been born again in the Lord, now that you're born again in him, you take that same energy and you apply it towards the Lord. Now you're a slave to righteousness and it leads to holiness, everlasting life. And that's what he's saying. And part of your sanctification is when we're out there partying and doing whatever you guys are doing, apart from, you know, we didn't have the Lord, you got a lot of energy towards those things. You now have the Holy Spirit. And by that Holy Spirit, we now apply it to spiritual things. Okay? <laughs> we apply it to spiritual things. So I tell people, look, make spiritual investments. Right? Everything we do, are we investing in eternity in the right direction? Are you investing eternity in the wrong direction? Whatever you do, word or deed, food and drink, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's part of your sanctification, right? Don't let your good be evil spoken of. Protect your witness in Christ. That is part of our sanctification, amen? All right, so we are walking in newness of life. We are free uh, from slavery of sin, and we are slaves to God, and that's okay because he's a wonderful master. I'm okay with being a slave to Jesus. That's a wonderful master, good, good father. I'm okay with that. All right? And so lastly, we'll just conclude with this part. Romans 8 is a B, so I'm not even going to get there. Um, but 7. And so I'm just going to summarize this. And so as you guys know, and it's still part of sanctification, we're, we all know Romans 7 for the I do what I don't do, but I do what I don't do, and I want all this other stuff, right? <laughs> um, and, and it's just that big struggle between the flesh and the spirit and how um, Paul, which I believe he's, he's born again, but he's just kind of given us his experience with when he tried to do things on his own, he failed. But he acknowledged that he willingly wanted to do what was right, but he could not find the ability in his own flesh to do it. And he was just talking about how every time I try, and this is more on the side of legalism, is that legalism is always going to expose every person. Because no matter what standard of rule you keep, you can't keep it perfectly. Right? Even waking up at the same time every day all the time. One day you're going to slip, the alarm clock's going to miss, and all it takes is one time. Like James said, hey, you keep all of them, offending one, guilty the whole thing. So you can't keep it perfectly. I like to tell people, you know, the law is like a, like a pearl necklace, right? You break one, snap one bead, they all fall right on off. You get the whole thing. And so when we deal with legalism, which I believe Paul's talking about in Romans 7, when you're dealing with legalism, it's about that me trying and me trying, trying to keep this on my own strength, on my own strength. And that's why Paul is able to talk about this struggle that all of us have, every single one of us have this struggle between the flesh and the spirit and when we try to do things on our own strength. And we fail miserably. And Paul talks about that struggle. And so I'll just read um, what he says here. Verse 16. No, we'll start at verse 15. Sorry. 715. You guys there? And we'll end after this. Praise the Lord. Okay. We're there. Praise the Lord. Um, he says this. Well, make sure I'm there. Okay, I'm there. <laughs> he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so pretty much he's saying, like, look, I have a will to do good, which means the Holy Spirit is living in there because anyone without the Holy Spirit has no will to do good, period. There's no righteousness in them. 
They, they're, they're haters of God, right? And so we see the Holy Spirit is there, and you hear how many eyes are in that phrase. It's a lie. I, 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 I. Middle of pride, middle of sin, okay? I must be obsolete in the believer's life, okay? But he talks about this struggle that I have, you have, because we try to do things on our own, okay? And then we'll go down, skip down to the last verse, um, 24 and 25. And this is kind of what it brings us to when, if any of us have experienced this, where I'm just like, I'm, I'm spent because I've been trying to do this, and I feel I'm, I'm just worn down because I just keep failing God. I just keep failing. I try to do this. I try to do this consistently, and then somebody got mad at me over there. You didn't do it good enough. And I try to do this over there. Well, yeah, you almost made it, but not, not quite. And so you can't please everybody, and you keep trying to do things on your own strength, and then all of us will eventually come to this conclusion. 24. Oh, wretched man or woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that is the answer. It's not what method. It's not how of those who's, what, when, who, where, and why. It is who will deliver me from this body of death. And that answer is Jesus. And that's what he says here in 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... With my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And that's why all throughout Romans, it says, therefore, walk in the spirit so you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so that is the element of our sanctification is we're new creations in Christ. We're to walk in newness of life. We're slaves to righteousness, and we are to depend, trust, and rely on the grace of God to do everything that we do. Amen? Amen? All right? And so just a quick review, if I can remember it. <laughs> so the doctrine of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. If you can't pr- get past that truth, you're going to be stuck. Okay? And most people struggle with that. But the good news is, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, who in here is a whosoever? I got a lot of super whosoever. Um, whosoever believes and places their trust in him should not perish for their sin because they should because it's fair, he's just, but have everlasting life and that's sanctification, I mean, that's justification and salvation. But then once you have been saved, it should produce an attitude of gratitude to want to serve the Lord and say, yes, Lord, to whatever you have to say. And a reminder and an encouragement for the entire body of Christ is that God will never ask you to do something. He will not empower you by the Holy Spirit to do. And so just one of those things to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll be honest. I love Pastor Dave. That's, that's my brother in Christ. I'm not ready. I wasn't ready to be up here. And just to be honest, I'm in my sweats. I got my shirt on. Um, but you know what? I, I told my brother earlier, I don't, I don't want to do it because I, uh, I understand what's behind here. I understand this responsibility. But I, I get it. But my attitude has always been Isaiah 6. He said, who will go for us? Isaiah said, send me, Lord. I'll go. And so for us as Christians, it doesn't matter. God will be with us. It's that we need to say, yes, Lord, and allow him to navigate and order our steps. Amen? All right. If your worst team want to come up, um, I'm finished for now. Almost on time. You get 10 minutes early. Amen? (laughs) And uh, let us pray um, before we go into worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your, oh, man, your immeasurable grace. Uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, when we're weak, you are strong. Uh, we thank you for your word, Lord, for it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Well, I thank you for being with me, Lord. Um, we do trust in you, Father. And at the end of the day, Lord, if you ask any of us to go, Lord, we always want our answer to be yes, Lord. Uh, you are the creator of the universe. You are the Lord. You are the rock on which we stand. And, Lord, we just pray, Father, that we become more like your son, Jesus, Lord. We know at the end of the day, uh, when this life has come and passed, only what we do for you will last. And, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that we, uh, you equip us to go out and not be ashamed of the gospel, for it truly is uh, the message of the cross. It truly is the power of you unto salvation for all who believe, uh, the Jew first and also the Greek. And, Lord, uh, we just we want to be more like you, Father. And we know we can only do that by surrendering our will to yours. And we thank you for the greatest gift one can ever have, and that is salvation through your son, Jesus. And Lord, as we enter into worship, 
We pray that we lay all our burdens down. Psalm 50, uh, uh, in the Psalms, I believe it's uh, 55, 22, Lord, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord, for you shall sustain us, and you'll never leave the righteous to suffer. We thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We love you, and we thank you. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. All the saints said, amen. Let's worship.